got your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, that uh, open them to Psalm 120. We're going to be all over the place in the Psalms. And so open your Bible to Psalm 120. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, I go back and forth between digital and book. And, and one of the things that, uh, how I determine what I'm going to use is really more than anything, what, what format can I engage the word the most? And you might use a different format here in classes. We look up references than what you use at home to read devotionally. So, you know, kind of think through that. Don't just think about convenience. Think about what, what format of the Word of God do I need to use in order to engage the best at this time, whether it's reading, whether it's studying. And then just pause and thank God that we live in a country where you have this kind of problem that we have these different formats. So, open your Bible, turn on your Bible. I don't know what you're doing with your Bible, but have it open as we look at the Psalms of Ascents. Now, two weeks ago, we introduced this study. It's Psalm 120 uh, through 134. These 15 Psalms are going to take us further up and further in. And we're using that phrase from C.S. Lewis's great work, The Chronicles of Narnia, in the last book called The Last Battle. He says this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. That really matches the songs of ascent. We said these were songs. They're written by various authors, Solomon, David, others. They were written at various times, but they were collected, and they were all given this title, Songs for the Going Ups, Songs for the Ascendings. And they were sung by believers in Israel as they traveled three times a year to the temple, Mount Zion, the place where God's glory dwells. And so literally, physically, they were always moving further up, further in towards the presence of God, towards the joy. It's a journey to joy. Why? Because they, when they arrive in Jerusalem, they were going to worship in God's presence with God's people in God's place. And that's where we're all headed. Even now, you and I are on a physical and spiritual journey. You walked here. You walked through life. We are headed towards the new Jerusalem, the second coming of Jesus. We're moving there physically, but we also want to be moving there spiritually. And so I hope that this series is going to challenge you in your walk that you really do rise to a higher level, that you really do get closer in to Jesus Christ. Now, since we're talking about a journey, uh, last week we looked at seven turnouts on a roadmap. And we looked at the title, the theme, the time, the types, the topics, the travelers, all just an overview of these uh, songs, a roadmap. So as you read through your, your reading plan. So I hope you grabbed a reading plan. They've been in the bulletin. I hope you have that. There's two reading plans there. And one that I would really suggest is you read one psalm a week, but you read it five times. So you're reading the psalm five times in that week. And so that next week, when we look at the first psalm, Psalm 120, you will have read that five times. They're short, 
They're easy to read. The other option is to just read one a day, five days a week, and you'll get through it three times by the time we're done with this series. But once you have your roadmap and you've got all the scenic turnouts, you're ready to pull out your rough guide. Now, I grabbed, I've got three of these. I, got, I think i got even a couple more. But whenever we would go on a missions campaign, I would grab the rough guide. So we've got Amsterdam, Romania, Tanzania. And the reason you got the rough guide is you need travel tips. What do I need to see? What do I need to watch out for? What do I need to be careful of? These are tremendous. And to think you used to have to carry them around. You had to pack these things. And, uh, and if you hit a couple countries in a trip, you'd have to have several of these. Now you just have them all on your phone. But what we're going to do today is look at a rough guide for your reading through the Psalms of Ascent. These are like a rough guide. They're going to be travel tips that as you read through these psalms, I want you to look for these five things. Take these five travel tips. As we study, we're going to keep bringing these along. Now, when we were in the Grand Tetons, uh, the big travel tip was on all the signs everywhere you went. Be bear aware. I mean, that was everywhere. We've been there two other times. We never saw a single bear. This time we saw like five grizzlies, mother cub, all these different things. You had all these tips. Well, the best travel tip when it comes to being in bear country is this story that I always get a kick out of. And I reminded Gwen and Amber of this several times. Two guys were hiking through the woods when they came across a hungry bear. And the first guy stops, sits down, opens his backpack, and he gets his running shoes out, and he starts taking off his hiking boots to put on his running shoes. And the second, his friend, the second guy, said, What are you doing? You can't outrun a bear. And the guy looked at his friend and said, I know. All I have to do is what? Outrun you. So I kept telling Amber and Gwen that. All I got to do is outrun you guys, and I'll be fine. So that's kind of a bear tip for traveling in bear country. But... We want to look at travel tips for the, song, for the journey to joy. So let's look at these travel tips. And listen, these are not only relevant for reading through the Psalms of Ascent, but these are relevant for our journey in life. As I thought through what's going through in our country, I don't want us to, to leave the news outside these walls. We need to bring the news into our thinking as Christians. And let me tell you, these five tips will help you. Uh, as you don't get all caught up in the anger, don't get caught up in the fear, don't get caught up in the discouragement. Instead, use these travel tips daily in your life. So let's look at travel tip number one, and here it is. Stay focused on Jesus Christ. Stay focused on Jesus Christ. Easier said than done. So what do you do? Keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the prize, because in a very real sense, Jesus Christ is who we're journeying toward. That's the one we're headed. That's the prize, is Jesus Christ. I'll never forget the last time that Billy Graham will ever speak in Kansas City. He was at Arrowhead Stadium, and I forget how many years ago this was, but it wasn't that long ago. 
And as he spoke, his body is racked by Parkinson's. He could barely get up there. He could barely really speak at all. And he couldn't stay there very long. But as he got up there, and even though we were far away, you could see the shock of white hair. And he got up there. And it's almost like he pulled himself up and transformed into this powerful person. And he uttered these words. And I'll never forget. And it's really about all he said. It's about all he could say. And he simply said this. Jesus is the future. Jesus is the future. That's who we're journeying toward. That's the eye that we need to keep our eye on that prize. Turn your Bibles to Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3. This Paul really sums this up. Stay focused on Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 through 14, here's what he says. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Further up, further in, I press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what is the prize? Well, he tells us in what comes before and after. So move back to verse 7. Let's look at verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I count as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's the prize. That's what we need to stay focused on. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, excrement, useless, valueless, yucky, bad. I don't want it around. Why? So that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law based on my good works and my good efforts, but what? But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The prize is not only Christ, but it's to be like Christ. It's to be as good as God. It's to be as sinless and perfect as Christ is. Wow, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship of his suffering. There's the gospel. There's bad news. Sin has to be paid for. Christ suffered. There's good news. Christ was Uh, victorious and he rose from the dead. So it's Jesus and the gospel. That's what we need to stay focused on. Not that I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold by Christ. We're on a journey, not because we don't have something. We already got it. Christ has, has laid hold of us and now we want to lay hold of him and to arrive in his presence and in his glory. Look, drop down to verses 20 through 21. Important for the days of, of our nation right now. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Hey, we're headed to a time where our powerful God, we're going to be in his presence. Everything's going to be submitted to him. There's no ambushes. There's no prejudice. There's none of this division and strife and loss of life and anger and hurt and disease and death. Isn't that glorious? 
Hey, keep our eyes focused. That's the prize, folks. That's the prize. Now, what does Jesus and all in the gospel have to do with the Psalms of Ascent? After all, aren't we in the Old Testament? Isn't all this stuff in the New? No. There's much more. Jesus has much more to do with these songs than what you might think. First of all, in John 5.39, here's what Jesus said. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. The Bible scholars of the time were rejecting Christ. And he's like, look, you guys think you know this book, but everything in this book points to me and you're rejecting me. You know what? We can get pretty smug with that, can't we? But have you ever read the Bible and then never even thought about Jesus? You know, I charted the whole book of Galatians one time. And after I was done with my eight and a half, eleven chart, I mean, it was awesome. And then, it, and, and when you chart a book like that, you got to read. So I had read Galatians numerous times as I got ready to teach to these teens in Dallas. And suddenly, I looked at the chart, and Jesus wasn't on the chart. And yet, in the book of Galatians, Paul can't barely write a verse, a sentence, without mentioning Jesus. So, you know, I did Jesus a favor. I added him to my chart. And you know what? We're the kind of the same way. We can go through weeks, days, and Jesus really isn't a part of our lives. And then we think we do him a favor by showing up on Sunday. Are you with me? Hey, keep your eye on the price. Jesus, the scriptures are all about. So when we're in the Psalms of Ascent, we're, we're to see Jesus in that. Not reading him into the text, but letting him, sh- let the text show us and point us to Jesus. Now, you say, is that valid? Well, yeah, Jesus said to do it. In Luke 24, 44, Jesus himself said that he is the purpose and the picture and the point of the book of Psalms. Listen to Luke 24. Now, he said to his disciples, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, the Psalms there mean the whole wisdom book. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, Song of Songs. But they're all summarized by the Psalms because that's the biggest book of the wisdom. But here's what he's saying. All things that were written about me in the Old Testament must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them... So basically, he took them through an Old Testament survey. How would you like Jesus to take you through an Old Testament survey? Showing how it all pointed to him. And then he says this, Thus it is written, the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Do you realize he saw the gospel in the Old Testament? He's saying, look... He took them through the Old Testament and said, you can find my suffering there. You can find the promise of my resurrection there. You find me there. That's why Tim Keller, in his 365-day devotional on the Psalms, calls them the songs of Jesus. Because Jesus, the Psalms, were the hymn book of Israel. Do you realize Jesus sang all these Psalms? You know, you can go back there in the green hymnals that are in the furnace room that the seniors pull out uh, every other Thursday, and I can tell you what song's on page 116. It's Victory in Jesus. Why? Because I sang that all the time. It's my favorite song. I know that. I know it. Jesus knew these. Do you realize what Old Testament book Jesus quoted more than any other while he was on this earth? You know what book? 
the book of Psalms. He sang them. And we're going to see that he also wrote them. Jesus is in the Psalms. Okay? Now, what's the point? Jesus is the person who fulfills the promise and purpose of the Psalms of Ascent. Jesus is the person that fulfills the reason why these Psalms were uh, uh, were written. Now, wh- how does this relate? Well, let me, let me tell you again. The Psalms of Ascent are about God's people on a journey to Jerusalem to worship in His presence with His people in God's place, in His place. How is that going to happen when there's enemies to be fought? How is that going to happen when there's sin in our hearts? How does that happen when sometimes we don't even want to get up in the morning? Right? You know how it's going to happen? By God's person, Jesus Christ. By God's power, God's Spirit. God's Son and God's Spirit fulfills. So here's what I want you to get. So wake up if you've fallen asleep. There's nothing we're going to read in these Psalms. There's nothing we're going to read that doesn't depend on the person and the work of Jesus Christ to be accomplished. We need to think that way. When we read Scripture, nothing we read can be accomplished or fulfilled outside of the person of Jesus Christ. Every note that's sung in these Psalms, every word that's written, every hope that we're going to read about, every promise that is made, Jesus is the ultimate focus. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1.20. When you read the Old Testament, actually when you read anything in the Bible, here's what you want to remember. 2 Corinthians 1.20. For as many as are the promises of God, in Him, Jesus, they are yes. Therefore, also through Him, Jesus, is our amen to the glory of God through us. Here's the good news. You see a promise in, in the Bible? Guess what? It's yes in Jesus Christ. It's yes in Jesus Christ. That's why we can claim the promises of God. When we say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayer, that's not the, sign, that's not the indicator for the next person to pray. That's not the thing that I'm done now. Now you can pray. When we say in Jesus' name, we're saying He's the yes. He's the amen. He's why this prayer can be answered. And it's the only way it's going to be answered. And if this prayer doesn't exalt His name, it won't be answered. Boy, that changes. I think sometimes we need to be saying in Jesus' name before we start praying. Because what we do, basically, if you're like me, we kind of pray, our will be done, and then say, in Jesus' name, instead of saying, in Jesus' name, your will be done, uh, my desires need to be changed here a little bit, Lord. Let's talk about it. Amen? Are you with me on this? Make sense? All right. Now, how can we find Jesus in the Psalms of Ascent? Let me give you four ways that we're going to find Him, okay? So I hope you have your reading plan. I hope you're going to start reading through there. Here's four ways to see Him in the Psalms of Ascent. Number one, Jesus is the Lord in the Psalms of Ascent. Okay, so in most of our Bibles, there is LORD in all caps, and then there's LORD in small caps. Lord in small caps simply means sovereign, you know, uh, authority. But Lord in all caps is God's special name, Yahweh. I am, how's it go? I am who 
who I am, the great I am, the great I am, the promise keeper, the ever-present redeemer. But here's what you want to understand, and you ought to know this if you've been in our class for some time. That Yahweh, the I am God, the great promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God of Israel, in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the I am God. Remember we had the series, the I am God, and we looked at the I am statements? So here's just the real simple way to see Jesus in these Psalms, is that every time you see the covenant name of God, the Lord, you want to think that's also Jesus. And you want to think that's also the Spirit of God. It's the Father of God, the Son of God, the Spirit of God. They're all the I Am God. One God, three persons. Jesus is there. Okay? So sometimes we read the Psalms and we think, well, that's really nice back then. Great poetry. Don't understand half of it. Not sure what's going on. But it makes me feel good just reading it. And we need instead be thinking, that's my Jesus. God the Father has revealed Himself through His Son, and He is my Lord. He is the I Am God. So how does this kind of work? Well, in these 15 songs, first of all, the Lord is referenced, referred to, identified, exalted in every one of these psalms. In fact, you can't read past verse 3 in any of these songs, maybe one, you have to get to verse 4 before you see the Lord. Okay, so let's look at our Bibles and let's just kind of think about this. I wish we could just have the time to read through these slowly. Because if you'll just read the first couple verses of all 15 of these psalms this afternoon, you're going to get your socks blessed off as you see what the Lord is doing. And you realize, that's my Jesus. Amen? Now let's just look at it. Psalm 120. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and He answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from deceitful tongue. Can't you just hear the calling out of that? Aren't you glad we can call to Him? Look at 121, Psalm 121. I will lift my eyes up to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's my Jesus. Amen? Isn't that cool? Look at Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, because we're going to exalt Jesus. Now, that's not what they meant then. They were looking forward to His coming. But we're here on the other side, and we're looking back, and we know that the Lord has made His temple to be Jesus Christ. And that's who we come to see this morning. I hope you were glad to come this morning. Uh, Psalm 123, you've got to make it down to verse 2. And he says, look, behold, as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until He is gracious. We look, we look, we wait We see Jesus. We keep our eye on the prize. Psalm 124, Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel say now, Had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. Their anger would have kindled us and burned us. I couldn't have done it unless the Lord had been on our side. 
Look at Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Drop down to Psalm 120. He's in 126, 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor, labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Look, uh, 28, he's in 128, he's in 129, get down to 130. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities. Now there's O Lord in small letters. So you got two different names for God. Covenant-keeping God and then the authoritative judge. And basically saying, if you weren't both God, I'd be in big trouble. If you, as a covenant-keeping, redeeming God, didn't forgive me of my sin, I'd have to face you in your sovereignty and your holiness, and boy, I'd be in big trouble. Jesus is our mediator. Man, we just keep going down through here. Then you get down to the last psalm, Psalm 134, in the name of the Lord is exalted five times in three verses. Why? Because the journey to joy has reached its climax. You're now in the presence of Jesus Christ worshiping Him. And again, they were looking forward to the coming of Messiah. They didn't know He was going to be a carpenter's son. But they knew He was going to come. Why? Because the Lord keeps His promises. But we're on the other side of the cross. So we're looking back and we can know, that's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. So Jesus is the Lord. Secondly, Jesus is the sinless Son of David. He's the sinless Son of David. There's a couple Psalms here that talk about the house of David. That's His family. The throne of David. That's his authority to rule. The covenant of David. And and whenever you see David in these Psalms, you want to think, ultimately the great son of David is Jesus Christ. He's the sinless son of David. And so look at Psalm 132. Look at Psalm 132 and let's look at verse 10. You're going to read this. For the sake of David, your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony which I teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. Listen, if there's not a son of David ruling, then God's promises will never be fulfilled. But that raises a problem because... There was no son of David, including David himself, that was sinless. They didn't keep the covenant. They didn't keep the testimony sinlessly. Solomon messed up. David messed up. Every son of David messed up until we got to the son of David, the sinless Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, descended from David. Woo! you got to think about that. There will be an eternal reign of God. His throne will last forever because Jesus is that son of David. Number three, Jesus is the ultimate author of the Psalms. Okay, there's at least four Psalms that say they are written by David. Another Psalm is written by Solomon. But it doesn't matter who wrote them earthly. Ultimately, God wrote them. And ultimately, that means Jesus also had a part in that. Jesus not only sung these songs, he wrote them. Did you know Jesus was a songwriter? There you go. All right. Number four, Jesus is the good news that overcomes the bad news in these psalms. Now, here's what I want you to understand. As you read through all 15 of these songs, there's bad news there. 
Sinners are in rebellion against God. There's enemies that are against God and His people. In fact, there's really bad news in Psalm 130 and 131. God's own people are sinners. That's the bad news of the gospel. God's holy, we're not. That's in the Psalms. But there's good news in the Psalms. That God Himself offers forgiveness as a free gift. That's in Psalm 130. Redemption is graciously given by the Lord. Peace is, comes from the Lord. Reconciliation is poured out like oil on our heads from the Lord. And God's final victory. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is this. Jesus is in these songs because the gospel is in these songs. Be sure... It's vague. We don't know how it's going to happen. It's pointing to someone, a son of David. We don't know who it's going to be. But we're on this side of it. And we know who it is. So we see the gospel in, 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 as a promise that is now fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So here's travel tip number one for going further up and further in. Don't lose your focus on Christ in this journey. He is in there, both in your reading and in your living. Now, here's travel tip number two. Don't lose your focus, or uh, stay focused, rather, on the coming kingdom. Stay focused on the coming kingdom. Now, you say, what does the kingdom have to do with the Psalms of Ascent? Well, God's plan concerning His kingdom was progressively revealed in the Old Testament, and it's progressively fulfilled in the New Testament. So here's what you want to think. When you come across the kingdom and thrones and authority, don't say, well, that doesn't mean anything to me because we're in a democracy. That doesn't mean anything to me. No, we're a part of a kingdom. As a believer, we're a part of God's kingdom. And guess what? That's where our journey to joy leads, to the coming kingdom of God, where we worship in His presence, with His people, in His place, the realm. Okay? So here's what happens. In the Old Testament, there was the promise of the king and his kingdom. So that's Old Testament. It was pictured, it was promised, it was predicted, but it was never fully fulfilled. But what happened in the Gospels is this. In the Gospels, the king comes. The king comes, and who is the king? Jesus. Okay, Jesus of Nazareth. And so when Jesus comes, he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is near. You know why the kingdom is near? Because the king is here. So let's say that. The kingdom is near because the king is here. Say it again. The kingdom is near because the king is here. Okay? The problem is, his people, the nation of Israel that were looking for him, rejected him. Okay, And so they crucified him, and he rose from the dead, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. Now, what's going to happen is he's going to come again. And when he comes again, the kingdom is going to come, and the kingdom is going to be re revealed. That's why in between his first coming and his second coming, what do we pray? What did Jesus teach us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So first coming, the king is revealed. The kingdom is near because the king is here. 
His people said, we don't want you. They crucified him, but God had a greater purpose. He rose from the dead. He reigns above, but no one sees him. And when you look at the news, did it look like this week Jesus was on his throne? No, no. That's why we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. So what's going on in this time? God is calling out his subjects and he's gathering them in kingdom outposts called the church. We are a kingdom outpost. So the king has come. The kingdom will come. And in between, he's reigning. But he's reigning through what? Through his subjects, the church. Does that make sense? So we live in a time where the kingdom, the king has come, but the kingdom has not yet come. So we're in this weird state where we know who the king is. The king is real. Was, was Jesus on his throne last week? Yeah. Was God in control? Yes. Do we know that? Yes. Does the rest of the world know that? No. How are they going to know that? How are they going to know that, class? We got to tell them. And we got to show them that we have a king. That our citizenship is in heaven. Is that good stuff? We live in this now, not yet, where the king has come, but the kingdom is not yet here. Okay, so, between Christ's first and second comings, there's two ages that overlap, and at present, we experience the tension of living in two ages, the now and the not yet. So, on this journey to joy, we can have joy last week, when the rest of the world's wringing its hand, or the rest of our country at least, is wringing its hand saying, what are we going to do? And some people say, well, we're going to grab a gun and we're going to kill people. And others say, we're going to grab a gun and defend ourselves. And I ask you, what did you say this past week? What did you say on your status update? What did you say in your tweets? What did you say to your coworkers? Are we silent or do we sound just like them? Are you with me? Because you know what? If you're living this, if you're one of the subjects of Jesus, we ought to be thinking different. We ought to be acting different. We ought to be reacting different. Not perfectly, but different. Amen? We shouldn't be escalating problems. We should be offering gospel solutions. Amen? All right, there you go. That's what's going on. Now, this kingdom perspective will help us persevere on our journey through joy. So as you read through these psalms, these guys, listen, they had the same problems we do. And they have the same anger, the same hurt, the same sadness, but they focus on the kingdom. And so every once in a while, you're going to find a little kingdom hope in there. And you, you need to realize, I've got to keep that perspective. I've got to have that kingdom perspective. Man, isn't it easy to lose perspective right now? Isn't it easy? And let's just, let's get off the national level. Is it easy for you to lose perspective in your personal life? Your personal struggles? Whether that be relational, health, work, whatever. It's just easy to lose perspective. But listen, when you have this kingdom perspective, and you realize, look, uh, these problems can create a fog where you don't see the kingdom. You don't see the shoreline. There was this lady, Florence Chadwick, who was a long-distance swimmer. She was a famous long-distance swimmer. 
And so she was going to swim the Catalina Channel in California. And so she had swam, 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 I'm not sure, for 15 hours. All I know is she was swimming longer than we were going to be driving to Colorado. And yet she was shrouded in this thick fog. She was in these shark-infested waters. The boats alongside of her, one having her mother in it, were shooting at sharks to keep them off. The water was freezing cold. She's swimming, she's swimming, but she can't see the shore. And she, she says, I want to get out. And her mom says, no, you're close, you're close. Don't get out. And she swam a little longer. And she said, I just can't do it. And they pull her out. And she was a mere half mile from the goal. Can you imagine swimming for 15 hours to set a record, to do something that no woman had ever done before, and to quit just a half a mile away? At the news conference, she said, I don't want to make excuses for myself. I'm the one who asked to be pulled out, but I think that if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And in fact, two months later, under same weather conditions, similar weather conditions, she mentally visualized that shore and she made it and made it and broke the men's record. Okay? Two hours under the men's record. Yay, women. Amen? Yay, women. We got it. That's good. Now, here's the point. There's plenty of fog in our lives, okay? We've got plenty of reasons to not see the shore, and we're getting more every day, right? So what do we got to do? We got to not mentally crank ourselves up like Florence did. We've got the Word of God. We've got the risen King. We know this kingdom's coming, amen? And here's what Paul says. Listen. Paul gathered new believers. Think about this. Paul would gather his new believers after they were saved, gathered in a church. And here's the encouraging message he would give them. Acts 14, 22. Paul strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith with these words. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. Now, isn't that great? I want to encourage you before I take off. I know you're just this little gathered kingdom outpost in the mighty Roman Empire, but let me have, I got good news for you. Man, you got a lot of trouble ahead of you. You got tests, you got pressures, you got, we got to go through a lot of these, but you got to go through them to get to the kingdom. All right? So listen, these are songs. So what next week? Psalm 120. There is nothing but problems in Psalm 120. Because that's pretty much where we start, isn't it? And then we got to make it through those, and we got to keep our eye on the prize, and we got to stay focused on the kingdom. So here's travel tip number two for going further up and further in. Don't lose your focus on the now-not-yet kingdom in this journey. Listen, if you think everything's now, then you'll... Th- Through one of them. But if you focus, if you forget the not yet, you'll think it's all trouble and there's no triumph. All right? So you got to stay focused on that. Okay, travel tip number three. Stay focused on future grace. Stay focused on future grace. Now, what do I mean by that? 
Here's the definition of future grace. might be a concept or a phrase you haven't heard before, but I'll show it to you right from the Psalms of Ascent. Future grace is trusting God to give us the desire and power to do His will in the future as we claim His promises in the present. Future grace is putting the kingdom focus into action. Okay, right now I've got trials and I want to give up. So I'm going to place my faith in God's promises in my present troubles. I'm going to look forward to how He's going to answer my prayers, how He's going to deliver me out of my problems in the future by faith. Does that make sense? Future grace is trusting God's promises in the dark, in the storm, in the valleys, and choosing to persevere by faith in Him and His promises. So you're, you're, you're saying, look, everything around me says give up, but I'm going to look towards God's promises and I'm going to expect Him to come through in the future. In his book, Future Grace, pastor and author John Piper says, Many men and women attempt to walk upright out of gratitude for what Christ did in the past, But Piper encourages believers to look ahead to the grace that God provides for us day by day, moment by moment, putting faith in action by laying hold of God's promises and looking towards the future. Do you see the difference? Look, Christ has done something for us in the past. We should be thankful. But He has promised to do and deliver us in the future, so we should be trusting. Does that... I think a lot of times we present the Christian life all in the past tense. You know, we're just always looking back and saying, well, that was nice, I'm forgiven, but now I just struggle through sin all the time. Well, you are forgiven, be grateful. But in that forgiveness, you were given power to be delivered. So trust Him in His promises. We're thankful for past grace, but we ought to be confident in future grace. So what does future grace have to do with the Psalms of Ascent? Look at it in your notes. When we speak of faith and future grace, we mean being satisfied with all that God promises to be for us in Christ when we need it. Now, I just can't, I can't take you through all of these, but I have them listed. Psalm 120 begins with future grace because in Psalm 120, next week we're going to see there's nothing but problems. And he says, you know what? God has answered prayers of mine in the past, so I'm thankful. But because he answered in the past, I'm going to look to my present problem and I'm going to expect future grace. I'm going to expect God to deliver me in the future. So I look to the past, but I turn and I face the future by faith. Psalm 121 is filled with the promise of future grace. In Psalm 121, at least six times the psalmist sings, God will do this. God will do that. God will. God will. God will. Is he cocky? No. He's humble and faith. He's got faith. He's saying, look, these are God's promises. He's going to do it. Psalm 123 is filled with waiting on God. And it says, basically, I'm going to quiet my soul and I'm going to wait on God until He comes through. That's future grace. That's faith in future grace. Man, I, just these psalms are full of it. And we'll highlight those as we go through. So here's travel tip number three for going further up and further in. Don't lose your focus on future grace. 
claim these promises. They're all yes in Jesus. The kingdom is coming. So, hey, be confident. Be obedient. Don't give up. Tip number four, stay focused on God's providence. Stay focused on God's providence. You say, what is providence besides a state, a city in Rhode Island? What is providence? Providence is the comforting truth that as the creator of all things, God is all-powerful and always present to work all things together for His glory and our good. That's providence. See, last week and in the weeks ahead, in the years ahead, God's providence is going to become more important to God's people. Because as our nation disintegrates, as the world slips into anarchy, which, by the way, is all predicted in Scripture, so we shouldn't be, oh, well, no, praise God, God's keeping His word. God's providence is going to become more important. People are going to want to know, is there God and is is, is He in charge? And we're going to be able to say, here's some comfort. The creator of all things is all powerful and always present to work all things together for his glory and our good. Ephesians 1.11, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Romans 8.28, Paul is simply applying God's providence to our problems when he says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to His purposes. Maybe the best way I, I... Here's how I think of God's providence. God is large and in charge, and He cares enough to do what will bring Him the greatest glory, us as His people the greatest good, and that which will bring the greatest number of people to Himself. Isn't that good? That's comforting. Okay, that's comforting. Now, what does this have to do with the Psalms of Ascent? God's providence in the Psalms of Ascent reminds us that our Creator is in complete charge of His world. His hand may be hidden, but His rule is absolute, and He's always at work. So in three of these Psalms, the beginning, the middle, and at the end, there's this phrase, the Lord, well, He's gone off the, the, the thing, but the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's the creator. He's in charge. When you see the Lord made heaven and earth, it's linked in Psalm 121 and 124 with our help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. What he's saying is, look, we've got our helper is the God that made all this. He's that powerful and he's that present. So, I don't know what you're facing right now on your song, on your journey to joy. I don't know what your hang-up is. I don't know what your hindrances are. I don't know what your sin temptations are. Uh, I barely know mine, so I'm not, I'm not going to presume to know yours, okay? But whatever it is, God's at work. God's at work. What's going on in our country? God is at work. God is at work. It doesn't look like it. We can't see it. We don't know what He's doing. But we know He made heaven and earth. So let me make one final observation. And it's this. Stay focused 
The tip number five is this. Stay focused on the whole person. Tip number five. Stay focused on the whole person. Listen, these psalms are not just something we're going to teach. They're not just something... They're hard to outline because they're really not meant to be outlined. They're meant to impact the whole person. So let me give you five things to anticipate. First of all, they're going to inform your mind. There is theology in here. There is instruction in these psalms. So they are lessons that are going to be taught. I hope you come to them all. But they're also meant to arouse your emotions. There's anger in here. There's sadness in here. There's a lot of joy in here. It's full of it. Because we're real people. And we have a mind, but we also have emotions. Third, they're going to direct your will. We're going to be directed to pray, to trust, to obey, to confess, to wait, to sigh, and to praise. There's going to be things to apply. Fourth, they're going to soothe your soul. They're going to soothe your soul. These are troublesome times. And we have to go through things that are troublesome in our life. And these are going to speak to your soul. I I love Psalm 135. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in His word do I hope. And then finally, these psalms will humble your heart. They will humble your heart. Psalm 125.4 says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But listen to Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Listen, we're going to find in these psalms we're not as wise as we think we are, that we're not as spiritual as we might think we are, that God is not as small as He may seem, and our hope is greater than what the news says it is. Okay? We're going to find, we're going to be humbled before the Lord. All right? So here's the application. When you take your reading plan, I want to encourage you to do this. Those of you that take the plan where you read the same psalm five times in a week, take these five travel tips and examine that psalm from each of these travel tips. So you see what I'm saying? So read the psalm the first day looking for Jesus. In the second day, look for the kingdom. may not be in every song. I get that. Third Look for future grace. All right? So take these travel tips and let them become a guide to you. Use your rough guide. These are the travel tips. Use them as you read through the Psalms. And so next week what we're going to do is we're going to start going through them step by step, further up, further in. Are you ready? But these travel tips apply to our daily lives. So let's pray. Father, uh, wow, crazy, crazy times right now. And the pressure is only going to get greater on us as your people. So as we go further up and further in, Lord, I pray that these things will not stay on a page and uh, go to the trash or even go in our Bible and just not be looked at. But Lord, these travel tips are what we need tomorrow in the workplace. And they certainly are what we need as we read and study through these Psalms. So Father, I pray for each person here. And I pray that we will anticipate future grace as we 
uh, read. Some of us may think, I can't keep up with a reading plan. Some of us may be discouraged in studying God's Word. But Lord, we're going to anticipate, claim your promises, and look towards faith to read, to study, and obey. And Lord, at the end of it, there's joy, and it's all going to be focused on you. So I pray each heart is encouraged today. In Jesus' name, amen.